is PW Torch VIP editor Wade Keller with the Wade Keller Hotline covering the Wednesday, February 28th, 2024 episode of AEW Dynamite. They were in Huntsville, Alabama at Von Braun Center. Had a uh, last check through WrestleTix, about 2,600 tickets sold, set up for just short of 3,000 seats in the building. They probably got two there or more just based on the, um, the, the camera angles they showed. Um, it looked like a, uh, a, a, a solid execution of filming a relatively small wrestling crop. Um, the uh, Dynamite opening theme aired, and then Excalibur introduced the show as Pyra blasted on the stage. Then they cut to a shot of the crowd around the ring, and opposite the hard camera, the camera panned the arena. They had a darkened upper deck, but spotlights were shining on the fans in the lower bowl and around half of the arena bowl. The spotlight would, would go up to the upper deck where there were some fans, so they are very strategic in how they shot it, and I thought it worked. Uh, cause we, we talk, I, the reason I bring that up, we talk a lot about the major league feel and not having it seem like AW is struggling or in, in the wrestlers are drawing cards and they're big stars and f- how you film that is key. And they could have easily filmed this and had it seem smaller and darker. And I think they found a clever way around, uh, running a major show with only a few thousand people in the venue. Hangman Adam Page made his ring entrance, limping and walking with the assist of a crutch. They replayed Hangman favoring his ankle after a hard landing after he flipped out of Samojo's grip last week. He entered the ring as the announcers discussed the ramifications of whether he was too injured to wrestle on Sunday. Fans chanted cowboy shit, so still getting some positive chants from the crowd. Hangman said this probably doesn't look like a promising start to the speech. He said when AW started, it was a new endeavor for his friends, but not him. It was an opportunity to rise to people's expectations and make m- the most of the world that was laid in front of him. And he talked about winning the AW World title in 2021. And he said that's why it hurts so much to be standing in front of them like this on a crutch. He said he's not going to apologize to Joe or Swerve Strickland, but he won't be able to wrestle at Revolution. Tony Schiavone said, that sucks. Swerve's music then played. Swerve came out with Prince Nana. Swerve entered the ring and told Hangman they've gone to war the last few months, and I might have crossed a line a couple of times, maybe. Fans chuckled. He said he targeted him because of everything that he has accomplished in AEW. He said he'd be lying if he didn't respect Hangman's accomplishments. Swerve said his destiny still awaits him on Sunday when he becomes AEW World Champion, and then Joe's music played. So Joe marched to the ring as fans chanted, Joe, Joe, Joe. Joe said they're out there talking about destiny. He said disdainfully that he sees two enemies trying to hug it out. He said he's going to gift the audience a few truths. He called Hangman Hopalong. He said people say they are young, hungry contenders, but that's ridiculous. He said they're hungry, accomplished, battle-tested wrestlers. He said they're hungry because he's starving their asses. Joe picked up the intensity and said whether it's one of them or both of them, he'll whip their asses. And then he dropped the mic and turned to leave. Swerve told Joe to stop because he has something to say. He said he went from unemployed to headlining pay-per-views and going from a cruiserweight to challenging for a world title. He said he broke into wrestling school and left an 18-year-old child lying in a bloody heap and trespassed in another man's home and threatened threatened his infant child. He said, I will do whatever it takes to become world champion. He said he's not just a career maker, he's a career changer. He said after he takes the title from him, Joe won't know what to do. He said maybe he can go back to commentary wearing a poncho again. Shivani said, that's stiff. Joe's eyes bugged out. Swerve said he's on the verge of making history, and he vowed to win the title on Sunday. Whose house, he asked. Hangman attacked Swerve from behind with a crutch at this point. He showed no sign of an injured ankle. Joe smiled as he realized what was going on, and uh, Hangman knocked Swerve out with a crutch. Excalibur said, Hangman was lying the whole time. 
And he said it will be a three-way match after all. So if you're unplugged from the speculation and reporting all week, this was an angle that would solidify Hangman as a heel, even if just last week he was positioned as a six-man in a six-man tag team match as a babyface in terms of whom he teamed with, although he's kind of a jerk to them. AW assumed most people are on social media and listening to podcasts and reading websites, and to them, their guard was up. Although a red herring circulated that even if Hangman wasn't hurt, maybe he had a personal issue to tend to and he wouldn't be on the pay-per-view as a result. Either way, this locks in Hangman as a full-fledged heel going into Sunday. While Joe was the star here on the mic, he stood out the most. Swerve was really good, too. You know, he's coming along. I don't think he's fully polished and fully realized in terms of who he'll be as a top act, but you see it, and it's just a little, little bit of polish needed. Um, I, I will say, I don't think you should be talking about being a cruiserweight. I mean, that just defines you down. I mean, that's just there's some parts of your history you don't need to draw attention to, and I would say that's one of them. I know he's trying to tell this story of being an underdog who's rising to the heavyweight division, but really, I mean... If you want to be the next big, I mean, I know Cody sort of talked about, you know, in a roundabout way, Stardust and that kind of thing, but Cruiserweight just has such a stigma as just a small prelim guy. And I don't think anybody looks at Swerve in the context of AEW and thinks that he's small because he's not relative to, you know, almost all their world champions. All right. They cut to the Young Bucks arriving at the arena parking lot. They exited their SUV and entered the arena. Renee Paquette was waiting to interview them in the backstage area. She asked about their business meeting with Ric Flair. Nicholas Jackson said the meeting was great, and that's all he'll say. Matthews asked if she's seen Sting so far. She said she hadn't. Matthews said that uh, that they wanted to see him and thank him in person for all his contributions to the company. Oh, how nice of them. And then he added, most importantly, we really want to conduct his uh exit interview. Nick and Matt had baseball bats, and they went looking for him, calling out, Stinger, Sting, where are you? Uh, to me, the Bucks are already growing into this role. And this is why, I mean, I've been an advocate. Reps help. Find a find a role. Adjust it. Abandon it if it fails. But this was their best performance yet with this incarnation of their personalities. I'm still not a fan of the whole undefined EVP thing. But if, if I'm not, if I just sort of stipulate to that and accept it, the idea that they are, you know, sl- in a slimy way going, we want to we wanna meet Sting for his exit interview. I mean, it's just full of, of subtext and being jerks and having, you know, their power go to their head. So I thought this was good. And they weave this throughout the show, you know, they, they, and so we'll get to that. All right. The announcers narrated highlights of Brian Danielson against Jun Akiyama from uh, Collision, including Danielson shaking hands with Akiyama, but then turning and giving the middle finger to Eddie Kingston at ringside. Akiyama then slapped Danielson and Danielson pretended to apologize, but then kicked him in the crotch, which led to FTR running out to help Kingston fight back against Danielson and Claudio. Um, so all that was from Collision. So then the match took place. Blackpool Combat Clubs, John Moxie, Brian Danielson, and Claudio Castagnoli came out first. The announcers talked about BCC having an advantage because FTR and Kingston hadn't teamed before. They also talked about how Kingston and FTR don't travel in the same circles. They're a team, but they're not like friends like Danielson, Moxie, and Claudio. Um, as they were coming out, by the way, as Moxie, Danielson, and Claudio were coming out, I'm just like, they're not heels. You know what I mean? Like, like, Moxley should not be framed as a heel when he's coming out to to his Wild Thing theme song. And it's just obvious that people like him. And he's not really a heel. Danielson is cosplaying a heel for fun. And Claudio's sort of along for the ride, um, just taking on the flavor of whatever's going on around him, like tofu. Um, not to bring back the whole tofu thing. But, um, yeah, this it's just... They're not heels. They shouldn't be heels. And Danielson should 
let the fans cheer him and frame himself that way. But anyway, um, the bell rang 22 minutes into the hour. Kingston started against Danielson as fans chanted, let's go, Eddie. But before they touched, Danielson tagged out to Claudio. At the three-minute mark, everyone entered the ring and brawled, and they cut to a double box break. Back from the break, Matt, uh, Mox tagged Danielson, who then had Cash on the mat, and set up a surfboard. Mox then punched a vulnerable Cash and scored a two-count. With Claudio in control against Dax, they cut to another break at the 11-minute mark. Back from the break, Dax began fighting back against Claudio. Mox tagged in and landed a heart attack clothesline. Mox and Claudio held Dax down, and then Danielson leaped off the top rope with a diving headbutt. Mox scored a near fall. Kingston tagged in at the 15-minute mark, and after a flurry by Kingston, the heels took over. Claudio swung Kingston around. Danielson drop-kicked him. Mox then kicked his head and delivered a pile driver. Danielson made the cover, but Dax broke up the cover. Fans chanted, this is awesome. FTR cleared the ring of Mox and Claudio. Kingston surprised Danielson with a spinning back fist. Cash lifted Danielson to his shoulders, and then Dax landed a top-rope bulldog. Kingston made the cover, but Mox broke up the cover. All six paired off in the ring, and stood by as the ref stood by haplessly waving his arms what are you guys doing two only one at a time no one listened claudio danielson and mox put all three of their opponents in sleepers the ref focused on kingston's alertness so he must have been the legal guy at this point all three baby faces backed the heels hard into the corner to break the holds the faces battered the heels with rapid fire chops ftr gave claudio a shatter machine claudio rolled out of the ring Danielson caught Dax with a running high knee. Danielson ducked Kingston, spinning back fist, and then landed a charging double knee to Kingston as he kneeled on the mat. He then grabbed his arms and stomped away at him. Danielson wrapped up Kingston's head in a triangle sleeper. The ref called for the bell. When Kingston's arms went limp, Danielson held onto the triangle sleeper for a few seconds after the bell as his music played. Danielson yelled into the camera that on Sunday, he's going to choke out Kingston. So, Danielson, Claudio, and Mox, the winners in 22 minutes. It was a really good, lengthy six-man that set the bar high for the for the two matches at the pay-per-view involving these wrestlers. The heels winning here tends to indicate the baby faces will get the win or wins back on Sunday. But we'll see. Excalibur commented over footage of Atlantis Sr. and Chris Jericho teaming together early in Jericho's career in Mexico City 30 years ago. So, it's cool that they... Uh, came up with this footage, very vintage, and uh, Excalibur said Jericho will face his son tonight, uh, Atlantis' son. Renee interviewed Jericho backstage. He asked what he expected. Jericho said 30 years ago when he first started wrestling in Mexico, he got thrown into the deep end. He said Paco Alonso wanted him to become a big-time player fast. He listed big names he faced back then. He said Atlantis Sr. was a friend. He said when AW began to work with CMLL, he wanted to face Atlantis' son to teach him how things work in AW. He said he'll repay the favor and give him a few lessons in violence. He said he'll show him what he can do. He mixed in some Spanish and smiled. So kind of an interesting presentation by Jericho of Chris Jericho. Just a, a veteran guy reminiscing about the past and wanting to return a favor. Um, none of the usual aspects of his uh, personality um, that we normally see in AW. Just I, I don't know if it's the context of just this week or if he's uh, shifting into something like that. After break, Tony Schiavone stood in ring and talked about what a big week it is for everyone in AEW. He said there are great wrestlers all around the world, and many are coming to AEW. He said none is bigger or better or more exciting than Will Ospreay. As Ospreay made his entrance, Excalibur talked about him facing Kanosuke Takeshita on Sunday on pay-per-view. Ospreay moved in for a hug from Schiavone and had a big, huge smile on his face. A little bit too dorky for my taste, but maybe that'll be part of his charm. Schiavone said it's great to have him in AEW. He thanked fans for his reception. He said with his obligations in New Japan being finished, he is now ready for AEW, though he mentioned he spent 10 days with his wife in the Barbados, in Barbados, and it was great. And uh, he said he flew to the United States, the airlines lost his bags, but he's doing okay. 
But he did say he's looking like Kermit the Frog in his green sweatsuit. He said he's ready now for full-time work. And it's good to establish that. Osprey said his first pay-per-view match in AEW, in his first one, he beat Orange Cassidy, because he said, it's not like this is my first time here. He said he then went to Canada and beat Kenny Omega in his home country, and then he pinned the first-ever AEW World Champion Chris Jericho, Jericho at Wembley Stadium. He said he's been rolling with the Don Callis family, and it's going smoothly, and he's ready to pick up where he left off. Callis's music, or shall I say noise, vroom, just that noise played, Callis walked to the ring with Powerhouse Hobbs and Takeshita. They all hugged. Excalibur said they have a chance to steal the show on Sunday. Callis said there's nothing he likes more than a Don Callis family reunion. Fans boot. He said when he thinks about the talent, it's an embarrassment of riches. Callis said he enjoyed Osprey talking about all those things you and I accomplished together. Osprey sort of rolled his eyes at uh, Callis taking Coke credit. Booze continued as he spoke. Not quite Dominic level booze, but constant booze. Callis said they're going to top what they did by having a match of the year or even a match of the decade on Sunday. Callis said Takeshita versus Osprey is like when Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen would go hard at each other in practice and then win championships together. He said the winner of their match on Sunday, whoever wins, will be the Don Callis family. He told them to shake hands. And uh, instead, they kind of stared each other down. Things got tense. Osprey then extended his hand first. Takeshita looked closely at it and then shook it. They smiled and nodded. Takeshita held on as Osprey walked away. Osprey returned the gesture. Things got more intense. Callis said, this is great, guys, but maybe he's a little worried. Fans chanted, Osprey. The spotlights moved around the lower bowl and parts of the upper deck with fans as Osprey's music played. Osprey stayed in the ring as Callis Hobbs and Takeshita left, and uh, Osprey then shook hands with fans in the front row. So kind of telling Osprey didn't leave with them, um, but it was a, a good segment. Osprey seemed likable. He carried himself like enough of a star, but... In an unassuming way, I think the crowd reaction conveyed to anyone unfamiliar with him that he is an international star worth paying attention to. It was good for him to mention his past big wins in AEW, but also make it really clear that he's done with New Japan. He's now in AEW full-time. There's just too many people who, big names, who stop in briefly with AEW and then disappear, or who are around for a while, like Pac, and then where did they go? Or what happened to Miro? You know, stuff like that. AEW wants fans invested in Osprey, and they want fans to know he's around for the long haul. They telegraphed here that Osprey isn't going to be aligned with the Callis family for long, including his reaction to Callis taking co-credit for those prior AEW wins. But that's fine. It's it, processing not about predictability. It's about telling a, a coherent story where you're not just swerving people out of nowhere. This that you want you want it to be pretty clear. Osprey maybe is a little bit past wanting to be associated with the scumbag Don Callis. Osprey didn't overdo it, but he made it clear how he feels about Callis um, or how he's starting to feel about Callis is maybe a better way to put it. Renee interviewed Kingston about facing, quote, this version of Danielson on Sunday. The Bucks walked in with their bats and asked if they've seen Sting. Nic At that point, Nicholas Jackson threatened Kingston with a fine if he talked crap again. Uh, Matthew, uh, Matthew told him to relax, told Nick to relax. Matt then told Kingston to work on his presentation. He asked Nick if they might need to implement a dress code. And then they wandered away and called for Sting again. Taz said he's been around dress codes, and it's not fun. A reference to... The John Laurinaitis dress codes of 20-some years ago in WWE. Hour 2 open with Orange Cassidy against Nick Wayne. International title on the line. Uh, this, uh, If I didn't say it, it opened Hour 2. As Cassidy made his entrance, Shivani spoke about Ole Anderson's death and said he was one of the wrestlers who caused him to get into pro wrestling. He also mentioned Soul Train Mike Jones, a.k.a. Virgil, the assistant to Ted DiBiase, who also died. We lost two greats, he said. The bell rang three minutes into the match. Nick went after Cassidy at ringside 
at the two-minute mark and knocked him into the ringside steps. And then he followed with a backflip off the middle rope onto Cassidy at ringside. Back in the ring, Cassidy casually rolled out of the ring to thwart Wayne's plans to dive onto him. Wayne landed a running flip dive onto him at ringside, though, and then he followed with a top rope leap. But Cassidy moved and then connected with a boot to the face. Wayne set up a superplex. Excalibur said if Wayne won, he'd become the youngest AW champion in history. Cassidy knocked Wayne down. Christian knocked Cassidy off balance. The ref kicked Christian to the back. Christian, of course, threw a fit, as did Nick Wayne's mom and Killswitch. And they cut to a double box break at the four-minute mark. Cassidy countered Wayne and landed a tornado DDT at the eight-minute mark. Wayne landed a fisherman suplex into a bridge for a near fall. Wayne mocked Cassidy with some slow-mo kicks. Cassidy stood and kicked him in the chin. Wayne went down. Cassidy then delivered slow-mo kicks, which got increasingly intense. Cassidy landed a running penalty kick and then went for an orange punch, but Wayne ducked. Cassidy came right back with a beach break for a believable near fall. Cassidy looked at ringside where Matt Taven and Mike Bennett arrived. Wayne gave Cassidy a dragon suplex for a near fall at the 10-minute mark. Rocky Romero showed up at ringside and went after Taven and Bennett. Wayne yanked a turnbuckle pad off the corner. Daniel Garcia then showed up and waved his finger at him. Or wagged his finger at him. Uh, Cassidy then surprised Wayne with an orange punch for the win. So uh, he didn't get a chance to use the turnbuckle, which I liked. You know, the heel's setting up cheating, but it doesn't come into play. Strong attack Cassidy after the match. Trent Breda showed up to help clear the ring of the heels. The match itself went 11 minutes, and it was good. Wayne is so good already. Everything is just crisp and right place, right time. He exudes that punk heel persona the way Lightning Kid did, Sean Waltman did 30 years ago in Global Wrestling Federation before he got the big break to go to WWF. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he just, he does all the right things in between moves. He's flashy, he's athletic, but you just want to see him get his, get knocked down, get knocked, get his face punched in. Renee interviewed the Bang Bang Scissors gang. Jay White said he wasn't sure about them, but after Saturday, he's on board. They gave each other a friendly hard time. They agreed on a match with the acclaimed and Austin Gunn teaming up this time for a match on Collision on Sunday. Um, so, I mean, this is going somewhere, but I don't know. I mean, Max Castor was acting like a big dork again, lo- losing his the cool factor that was once real intrinsic in his personality. Um, I don't know. I, just, I mean, I know this is a, a, a bridge to somewhere else, but I don't think it's doing anyone any favors. All right, Chris Statlander with Willow Nightingale and Stokely Hathaway took on Sky Blue with Julie Hart in her corner. Shivani said Stokely is a sketchy character. The bell rang 21 minutes into the hour. They cut to a double box break at the two-minute mark. Statlander gave Sky a German suplex onto the ring apron after the break. Julia checked on her. She turned and eyed Statlander. Willow stepped up to her. Statlander charged at Julia, but Julia sent her into the steps with a drop toe hold. Back in the ring, Sky landed a Canadian destroyer, a sidekick, and a small package for a two-count. They battled back and forth, and after a near fall, Statlander showed, frus- showed frustration with not being able to finish Sky. Stokely saw this as an opening. She offered Statlander a chain to use as a weapon. That would help finish the match, but Statlander wasn't interested, and Willow told her, don't use it, don't listen to Stokely. With the ref's attention on Stokely, Julia hit Statlander in the face with a belt. Sky then landed a code blue for the win. Willow gave Stokely a look afterwards with her hands on her hips, sending a signal, you messed up. So Sky blew the winner in nine minutes. They cut backstage to the Young Bucks, inviting the camera to follow them to Sting's locker room. Matthew asked Nicholas if Sting seemed a little out of his mind crazy last week. He said, with Sting, nothing's for sure, so be mindful. And then they barged in, but the room was full of hanging baseball bats, eerie lighting, and no Sting. The Bucks were frustrated by what appeared to be intentional mind games by Sting. Then Chris Jericho took on Atlantis Jr., who had Atlantis Sr. with him. Jericho came out to different entrance music. Um, I guess a throwback to what he came out to originally in Mexico. Taz said it was old school. 
Their graphics on the stage screen said Lionheart. The bell rang 38 minutes into the hour. Atlanta Sr. choked Jericho with a towel from ringside. As Jericho took issue, Atlantis Jr. dove over the top rope and tackled him. He threw him into the ringside steps and catapulted him into the ring post. When Jr. set up a move, Jericho countered and sent Jr. into the steps with a head scissors, and they cut to a double box break. Back from the break, Jericho and Atlantis Jr. stood on the top rope. Jericho leaped and drove Jr.'s head into the mat. Excalibur said Jericho used that move in the vintage clips from Mexico that they aired earlier. Jr. came back with a snap power slam for a two count at the nine-minute mark. The announcers hyped that the countdown show would be on Friday night and they would have never-before-seen footage of Sting in New Japan. Atlantis Jr. flipped over the top rope onto Jericho at ringside, and both were down and slow to get up. They fought back and forth for a couple more minutes. Jericho put Jr. in a walls at Jericho, and Sr. threw in the towel, and the ref called for the bell. So this went on, uh, this lasted 12 minutes, and it went on, I'd say, a bit long. It overstayed its welcome. Nobody's invested in Atlantis Jr. I mean, it's good wrestling, but, you know, I mean, it, it, it's not great wrestling. It's just, it was good. It was fine. Jericho seemed okay. In this, but yeah, um, it did sort of feel kind of like Cody and Grayson. We're like, this isn't the main event. Um, but this was even, this was a considerable drop off even from Cody and Grayson, but everybody's waiting around for Sting and the Sting segment. So, uh, oh, by the way, Jericho checked on Junior afterwards and then Jericho and Atlanta Senior helped Atlanta Junior up, but he dropped to a knee right away. Jericho and Senior faced off and se- it seemed to get intense, but then they hugged and then Atlanta's, uh, uh, Senior raised Jericho's arm. Excalibur went into plugs. It was confusing. The the meat madness match has switched to some all-star eight-way something or other, and it involves Jericho, Hobbs, Archer, Wardlow, Hook, and Brian Cage with a couple qualifying matches. Magnus against Matt Seidel on Rampage, and Dante against Penta against Brian Keith on Collision. Not exactly making that feel like a prestigious match, having those as the qualifying matches. Um, and then he hyped the pay-per-view lineup. All right, then main segment. The Young Bucks made their ring entrance. They got in the face of some fans in the front row. Uh, I think it was Nick who knocked the, the Sting mask off one fan with his bat. And then suddenly a fan next to him revealed he was Darby. And uh, Darby went after Matthew. Nicholas kicked Darby. They double-teamed Darby in the ring with a bat. Then they hit Darby with the EVP trigger. Matt jabbed Darby with a bat to the gut. Ric Flair's music played, and he walked out smiling as if proud of what the Bucks were doing. Shivani said he's known Flair's entire life, and he has a massive ego. Matthew handed a bat to Flair. He wound up, but then poked Nick in the eyes and punched Matt. Then he threw some chops, but Nicholas gave Flair a low blow from behind. Flair collapsed. They stomped away at Flair until Sting's music played. The Bucks walked up the ramp with bats in hand, ready for Sting, but instead, Sting was lowered from the rafters in kind of a crow, st- in, in the crow Sting, uh, getup. Uh, he helped Darby up, and the Bucks turned around and looked unnerved. Sting blocked their bat swings with his black bat, then he bashed him with a bat. The crowd chanted, holy shit. Darby leaped off the ropes with a coffin drop onto the Bucks. Sting then delivered a scorpion death drop on Nick, who rolled out of the ring. Excalibur plugged their match at Revolution on pay-per-view. Flair stood and shook Sting's hand as Excalibur hyped Sting's final wrestling match. And then they hyped Rampage, The Countdown Show, and Collision as the show ended. And I thought this was a, a solid uh, solid final push on Dynamite for the pay-per-view on Sunday. You know, they had the anchor segments for the two big matches at the beginning and end of the show, plus made the uh, Will Ospreay to catch the match feel bigger and it was good to have Don Callis in the ring doing his his you know business being the slime ball. Um some good wrestling, especially that opening six man and Nick Wayne against Orange Cassidy. Statlander Sky Blue was a pleasant surprise. Jericho Atlantis Jr. overstayed its welcome. Um it just didn't need to be that long and frankly I would have rather had something promoting the uh the Tony Storm match. It was kind of remarkable for AW. I know the opening match was twenty two minutes, but 
There was only one match in the first hour. The second match didn't start till the start of the second hour, and that's very different from you know the, the typical dynamite formula over the years. So um, they definitely were putting the emphasis on hyping a pay per view and not just you know not burning you out on good wrestling, but maybe satiating you with good wrestling, but not promoting uh, the pay per view. The focus was on advancing the pay per view. All right, that'll do it for me for today. Thanks everybody for your continued support, and until next time, Wade Keller signing off.